might be a Viking or a Saxon or a Roman, but tell me, do you like them? Would you sex them? Would you bone them? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bunk William the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection, but does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection? Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a boner start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical hot or not? Hello and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the only podcast that has the balls and labia to look at the life and times of history's most celebrated figures and ask, yes, but would you? I am Aidan McCaffrey. I am not a historian. And this is... Catherine Mather. And I'm also not a historian. But we are comedians and we are horny for history. We've got a guest as well. This is Rachel Furban. Are you a historian? Hi. Am I a historian? No. Oh. I'm interested in history, but I, I, I don't. I mean, don't ask me anything too in depth because I won't know. <laughs> Would you go as far as to say that you are horny for history? Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> you've hit the peak requirements. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel's a fantastic comedian. We were just talking about her show from 2019 at Edinburgh, <laughs> The People's Princess, which I enjoyed, but which Rachel herself apparently did not. Well, I did, but I would I would say the of all the shows I've done, The People's Princess has been my least favourite. But it was still a good show. It was a good show, but but, I, but as I say, my least favourite. It was, but I was pretty glad I was going to tour that, and then COVID hit, so I was kind of like, ah. Am I right in thinking you have a tour coming up? And also, is that the first tour you've done since COVID? No, I've done this is my third tour. The biggest tour, though, like a proper proper tour. Yeah. This one. Oh, you got and some that starts venues, haven't you? Yeah, this starts in September. Uh, so I was, I feel very relaxed because I'm not going to Edinburgh with the show. So I feel very chilled out about, like I was, you know, doing some writing today and I was like, oh my God, I've got six months. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel great. <laughs> Your pro you images as well for that, um, for you tour are banging. I love them. Oh, thanks, Is this mate. the one of you hanging out of a car window? Have I got that right? Yeah, it is. That's the one. In my showgirl, in a show, not my showgirl outfit, I hired it. Um, <laughs> don't want to break the illusion, but uh, that outfit absolutely stank of whatever food the woman <laughs> who, who hired it to me had been cooking in her tiny flat. And it was filthy. Needed a good clean. <laughs> but, you know, the magic of photography. But that the actual, when I'm out of the car, it doesn't look like a very good action shot, but I'm actually in a stationary vehicle in a McDonald's car park. Mm. It does so look like it's go. moving. The magic of a uh, modern the photo magic. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you um I so you sound like you're glad that you're not going to Edinburgh. Oh, absolutely thrilled. First year for I don't know how many years that I'm not going in some Oh, I'm actually going for what I'm going to do my podcast for one show and that's one show only. But I'm just glad that I'm not going this year. I don't I, I'm not under any pressure. I feel quite relaxed. I love Edinburgh, but it's such an emotional roller coaster when you're doing a show. And the one time I did, it wasn't even like a high stakes show. It wasn't like I was doing a debut hour. I was just doing a split show with a friend, but every day I'd either be like hugely depressed <laughs> or ecstatic. And it was always just depending on how the show went. And, and it wouldn't correct, it wouldn't go the other way until I'd done another show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, I mean, last year, you know, sort of about three quarters of the way through, my boyfriend came up to visit me and I knew that I was just like, I, I never enjoy it. I enjoyed it the hour that I'm doing the show, but the rest of it, I'm just not into. And I, I just, I'm thoroughly miserable in Edinburgh. 
I mean, I'm not happy at the best of times, <laughs> but he came to visit me and I knew that it was like, I need a year off this because we went to a cafe and we're, he just was looking at the menu and he said to me, oh, do you think they, um, do they do chips with that? And I just said to him, do I work here? <laughs> I've got to have a year off this. This is affecting people around me. I can't be like this with people. It just makes me so deeply unhappy that I just, uh, you know, maybe maybe I'll never do it again. That's how I feel about it. That really sounds like a classic fringe low ebb, you know, when yeah. someone asks to pass the salt and you tell them to fuck off and die. Yeah. Well, that's it. Do you know, I wasn't I wasn't even having a bad year. I, I, I had a fantastic year. I've not had professionally a bad time there, you know, but I've had good audiences. I've been... There's always been something good that's happened, and I, but I just I just do not enjoy it. I don't like being away from home for so long. I don't like being around other comedians. Oh. I just don't like it. Well, you're going to hate yeah. the next hour because you were hanging out with uh, me and Kat. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you two are all right. <laughs> it's the other uh, ones. Yeah. It's the other ones, yeah. You mentioned the word podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a reference to All Killer No Filler, am I correct? Yes, I have two podcasts. I've got All Killer No Filler, which... Um, it's very popular. We've got enough listeners. Don't listen to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've got good. another one. <laughs> I've got another one called uh, Ghoul Guide, which uh, came out on Halloween last year. And that's me going around visiting different haunted places in the UK. And uh, I get told three stories about the location. And only one of them is the true story. Ooh. That is, I love ghost stuff. And I'm like... For the record, I'm a total rationalist. Like, I've sort of, as an adult, like, rejected all that stuff. But as a child, I had such a primal fear of ghosts. I was so into it. I used to buy those ghost photo books where it'd be like, oh, ah. these are the real photos they've taken of ghosts. <laughs> and now when I look at these photographs, I'm like, that's such an easy effect to do, even in, like, the 1930s when they took it. But as a yes. child, you just, it's so real. And it's fucked me up so much that even now, like, if I'm listening to a podcast and I'm driving back for a gig, like through the Yorkshire Dales or something, I'll have to like <laughs> switch to a different podcast if they're talking about ghost stuff because I really freak myself out in my head. Yeah, I love being scared. I mean, ghosts, ghost monsters, anything spooky. It's I've always been in, interested in it, into it. It's. I mean, I've got. I've just been. Re I've got a delivery of uh, four new ghost books today. Would you believe? <laughs> um, can't see him. Can't <laughs> see him. <laughs> Oh, very good. Um, <laughs> love them. Love anything spooky. I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get you on our sister podcast, Spectres and Ghouls Hot or Not, which is another one we have. <laughs> where right, there you go. We rate all the classic <laughs> ghosts from history and whether we'd have sex with them or not. <laughs> <laughs> so what we do is we, uh, we, we talk about history's most celebrated figures uh, and whether we'd fuck them or not. We... We begin with a superficial assessment. Uh, we'll just have a look, objectify them. Uh, then we'll talk a bit more about their personality, uh, their life, their times. Uh, and at the end, we'll decide whether they will go on the beer your tap datistry um, or if we would not fuck them. Um, it's it's great. very, very highbrow. Sounds um, great. There's a link to the profile picture of this person in the show notes. So if you want to play along, if you want to do your own historical hot or not assessment, Go to the show notes. Today is my episode. Uh, I have written this one. It's one I've actually been holding on with you uh, in mind, Rachel. Ooh, so, okay. I know, tailor-made. But today we're talking about Annie. She's 26 and she's from Oldham. Oh, she's pleasant. Yeah. Is she Victorian? 
or early 1900s is she yeah so she's born in 1879 she's a got a lovely frock on nice hair bright eyes she looks nice is it me or does she look a little bit like maria bamford but with brown hair (laughs) oh god around the eyes she does yeah she really does i think she does very much so yeah i think this is a attractive lady one of the things we often discuss on this show rachel is changing beauty standards because sometimes because often like people who you know, when you're reading about old kings or queens and it will say they were renowned across Europe for their great beauty. And you're like, oh, my God, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, we say uh, a lot of the time when we do uh, our kill and no filler, especially if it's a, an episode maybe that's going back to Victorian days, we'll be like, yeah, she, she was um, old days good looking. <laughs> Uh, there was different standards. She was Edwardian heart. That's what she was. Um, mm. I don't think this person is Edwardian heart. I actually think she's quite attractive. I think she'd pass muster even in today's ludicrous beauty standards. So yeah, I think so too. Now, what I'm going to know, I'm going to send you a second picture of her. Oh. And then, and then a third one. Because of the question that I need to ask here, and I, I believe that they were all taken around the same time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> this didn't we'll go well it. last time you did this, Kath, because you sent me a picture of uh, Erna Petri very young, and she was quite attractive. And then you sent me one after she'd been battered by decades of Nazi hatred. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know what? That comes across on your face, doesn't it? So, it does wear you. Go on. We've got three photographs of her here. Mm-hmm. That last one that I've sent you, which will be in the show notes, I need to know, do you reckon she was hot? Or do you reckon she just took a very good photograph? Oh, gosh. I mean, is that a bad picture? Problem is now, she looks a bit scabby around the gob on this one. (laughs) I think, you know, a bit bit of a cold sore there. Has something happened to her? Possibly. She's got (laughs) quite wild eyes. (laughs) She's got wild eyes. And in the other two pictures, she looks very demure, trustworthy, approachable. Mm -hmm. And in this last one, I'd say she looks like she's gone mad. She does. <laughs> the yeah. thing is, though, because this is take presumably taken in, in the early 1920s or something, this could be anything from she's traumatised by something quite horrific happening her to she's just seen a man's naked ankle and <laughs> it's just left Very her true. wide-eyed in shock. So, yeah. from these images here, uh, before we get into her backstory, uh, is it a yes or is it a no? I'm going to say yes. Because I, I think the last picture might have been after some sort of something awful that's happened. I think she looks nice. Clean. Yeah. Clean for those times. Mm. I'm going to say yes as well, because you sent two, I think two out of three photos ain't bad. Yeah. I think in the middle one, she just, the middle one, she looks fine. She just looks a bit older than the first one. Kath, are you going to explain why she looks startled in this? Or is this just something that has been lost to history? The mystery of the, uh, the startled lady? Well, the thing is that, I probably won't be able to explain that specific photograph, but by the time we finish this podcast, you'll be like, okay, well, yeah, it does make sense that she looked like it. Okay. (laughs) uh, Let's get cracking. Annie Kennett was born on the 13th of September, 1879 in Springhead, Oldham, the fourth daughter of 12 children, 11 of whom survived infancy. That's not bad going that for those times. Pretty good, isn't it? Uh, mm. She was also born prematurely and wasn't expected to survive. Um, her father, and I don't need to include the names of her parents here, but I wanted to, and you'll see why. Her father was called Horatio Nelson Kenny, and her mum was wow. Anne. <laughs> <laughs> 
that. So is he named after Horatio Lord? Was Lord Nelson called Horatio Lord Nelson? Yeah. Was he named after him? I, I reckon so. Yeah. Again, I am not a historian. <laughs> I think that's like and also kid. useless in a pub quiz. <laughs> <laughs> like calling a kid Beyonce or something, maybe. But then, it, but yeah. it's not named after Beyonce. It's just a massive coincidence. Mm-hmm. My uh, my my niece goes to uh, school in North Manchester, and her two best friends at school, two um two Romanian kids, they're called Madonna and Shakira. Hey. Real? <laughs> yeah, that's mental. <laughs> but I remember she was talking to me. She's like, "Oh yeah, so um, Madonna and Shakira—they're my friends and their sisters." I was like, "What?" <laughs> she was like, "Oh yeah, they're my my friends and at school." I was like, "Is that their real names?" She's like, "Yeah." Like, All right. And then they just got like whatever you got a Romanian surname. <laughs> <laughs> what are the brothers called? Prince and George Michael or something? <laughs> <laughs> This is the weird thing, though. They've got a dog called Rachel. <laughs> oh, no, you don't want to give it a weird name, do you? That'd be cruel. Well, exactly. <laughs> I used to work at a children's play centre, and the two weird names that I remember were Khaleesi, which Game of Thrones had not finished and she'd not gone mental yet. So oh, many no. people made that mistake, Kat. Mm-hmm. So many people just... Series four were like absolute goal boss we've got here and yeah. then by series seven when she'd like slaughtered an entire you know state we're like oh we fucked up badly <laughs> with the child names right and the other one was Dadwell. there is no way for that baby to have shortened that name to anything acceptable is there cruel Dadwell just has to hope they've got a really normal middle name like robert so they can just be like what's your name <laughs> just call me rob and don't yeah. ask any more questions you look at someone and you're like, why do you hate your baby? <laughs> but uh, that wasn't a problem for Horatio Nelson Kenny, who will hint <laughs> more about. Um, of her parents, Annie said her father never seemed to have any confidence in his children and he had very little in himself. Uh, and that her mother allowed us great freedom of expression on all subjects. I grew up with a smattering of knowledge on many questions. Uh, they were quite well educated, but, which is odd for a working class family of the type. Well, not well educated, but just sort of encouraged to educate themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So three of her sisters became teachers and her brother Roland became the first editor of the Daily Herald in 1912. Oh, wow. Mm. Annie Impressive. Got... Yeah, they did all right. Um, Annie got her first job at the age of 10 in a cotton mill whilst also attending school. By 13, she was working full-time, which consisted of 12-hour shifts beginning at 6am. She worked at the mill for 15 years and lost her little finger in an accident with a spinning bobbin. She joined the local independent Labour Party and at a meeting in 1905 with her sister Jessie, she first met Christabel Pankhurst who was giving a speech on women's rights. She was inspired and the two became great friends, soon joining the newly formed Women's Social and Political Union in 1905 after the premature death of her mother, aged 53. Now some descriptives of Annie. (laughs) So Christopher described Annie as eager and impulsive in manner with a thin, haggard face and (laughs) (laughs) restless. This is her friend, remember? Yeah. (laughs) And restless, knotted hands, from one of which a finger had been torn by the machinery it was her work to attend. Her abundant, loosely dressed, golden hair was the most useful-looking thing about her. (laughs) Oh, my God! It goes on. (laughs) 
The wild, distraught expression apt to occasion solicitude was found on better acquaintance to be less common than a bubbling merriment in which in which the crow's feet wrinkled quaintly about a pair of twinkling bright blue eyes. So she had nice eyes and nice hair, we've learnt from that. It didn't okay. say, well, hang on, it didn't say she had nice hair. It said her hair was the most useful thing about her. <laughs> For all we know, that means Christabel could have just looked at her hair and gone, do you know what, that would make a great loom. We can just <laughs> attach that to some machine. Useful, not useful. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like useful. Did they, um, did they fall out at any point? Is this why she's described like this, or is, she, is this like a friend describing her? I mean, I think, I mean, they kind of did, but not to that extent. I think that this is just a a middle to upper class woman, honestly describing a a working class woman. (laughs) Crikey. What uh, descriptives would uh, your friends use to describe you? Well, well, I think actually I should ask this to you two, because you two have a friendship that pre-establishes this podcast recording. (laughs) So what's the worst way you've described each other is what I'd ask you, uh, Rachel and Kath. I don't think I'd describe you in a a bad way. I'd say, you know, I'd describe you as calm, Catherine. Calm? Yeah, you're a very calm presence, a very nothing to worry about around you, you know, that kind of vibe. Nice skin. There you go. Oh, thank you. Like, I wouldn't, if you ever said I'm going on a sunbed, I'd say, no, don't you yeah. dare. My descriptive. I think you're pretty chill. You seem pretty chill, but I think that you're like me in that, you, that you're the duck with the little feet paddling underneath, but looking <laughs> quite chill on top. Uh, I am, I'm quite, see, I'm more chilled out than people think about, think really. I mean, I, I am quite hot headed. And I will say if I'm not happy about something. But because of that, I think people think that I am not very nice for some reason. But I I am actually quite um, a relaxed person, I think. Yeah, I think uh, you are very supportive of... Oh, this um, is nice, isn't it? Yeah. You see, you have time for people. And and that is not common. Oh, darling, I know. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm so glad that you noticed. There's a lot of people that I do like. And I think some people think that I'm not friendly for some reason. I think maybe because of how I am on stage. That might, maybe that's got yeah. a lot to do with it. I think that might have a lot to do with it. I am more personable and I hate when people say that they're nice, but I think I'm a lot more approachable and friendly than people would think. Yeah, you are. And in, com- in comedy, I think you will find that the people on stage that are, hey, I'm a nice person, ah, they're all the, the cunts. Yeah, I think if you have to tell someone you're a nice person, you're not, are you? 100%. We've talked yep. about this in the podcast before, is the prevalence of people who say, you see a lot with guys, I'm the good guy of the circuit. Oh. Said <laughs> said unironically. Even though what? we now know lots of those people that say that turn out to be the biggest monsters. So I try not to make any self-proclamations. If anything, I go too hard the other way. I'm like, I am a cunt. I'm an awful person. <laughs> I am so untrustworthy. Do not give me your time. I will give you a lift, but I'll try and touch you. On the, bed, the whole yeah. time. <laughs> you have been warned. Well, that was boring. I was hoping uh, me prompting you two would make you slag each other off, but you were actually perfectly pleasant to each other. Yeah. So. Uh, sorry, Rachel, you're you're a cunt, and so are you. <laughs> Thank you. Is that what you want? Yeah, that, that's what, that's what we for. wanted. Yeah. All right, we'll keep that for the edit. <laughs> yes. The nicest thing about you is your hair, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Of which there is barely any anyway. Yes. (laughs) 
Annie was one of the few working class members of the WSPU, uh, also known as the Suffragettes. So when they opened a branch in Canningtown in the east end of London, Annie was asked to leave the cotton mill and become employed by the organisation full time. Her sister, Jessie, also moved to London, becoming the private secretary to Emmeline Pethick Lawrence, who was not working class. Um, <laughs> according to Elizabeth Crawford, the author of the Suffragette Movement, 1999, by the time she was 21, she was Women's Social and Political Union's youngest organiser, working from Clements Inn, arranging meetings, publicity stunts, interruptions of cabinet ministers' meetings, and as time passed, acts of militancy. Do you think at 21, both of you, you would be able to climb like that? No. But you see, I, I always think this, because... I put this in terms of life expectancy in, in the old days. Mm -hmm. So I always think 21 then, to me, is probably like 35 now. People yeah, were more I mean, mature, weren't they? If you've People... been working since 10. Yeah, and I think, it's, I think it's more impressive that she was a working class woman who managed to get to, to that level. But, I, but I do, yeah, I always see it in... It's like when you go in a graveyard, and as we do quite often, Catherine. Yeah. And we, uh, you look at stuff and you go, oh, they were only 35 years old. And then you go, yeah, but they died in like 1702. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a good innings then. But yeah, that's how I always look at it in terms of that. But, I, but me at 21, no, absolutely not. Didn't have a clue. Christabel attended a meeting in which Sir Edward Grey, a governmental minister, was speaking on the 13th of October 1905. Uh, I think Winston Churchill was there as well. The two kept heckling with, will the Liberal government give votes to women? And they refused to leave, uh, so the police were called. The police claimed that Annie and Christabel kicked and spat at them when, when, the, two, when the two were uh, arrested and then charged with assault. They were fined five shillings each, and when they refused to pay, they were sent to prison. This was oh. the first time women had used violence in their fight to win the vote, and it shocked the nation. Of her mm. prison stay, Annie said... Being my first visit to jail, the newness of the life numbed me. I do remember the plank bed, the skilly, the prison clothes. I also remember going to church and sitting next to Christabel, who looked very coy and pretty in her prison cap. I scarcely ate anything all the time I was in prison, and Christabel told me later she was glad when she saw the back of me. It worried her to see me looking pale and vacant. Uh, what is the, the worst heckle you've ever had? Well, <laughs> Kath, did someone, has a son ever shouted at you, why do you look so pale and vacant? Pale. <laughs> <laughs> Will the That's what I'd heckle you give votes to women? I'm like, they did. <laughs> yeah. It's like 100 years ago. You missed. You really missed a big story there. Yeah, and then they spat at me anyway. <laughs> Your hair's very youthful. <laughs> Only nice attribute you've got. <laughs> I think the worst heckles or insults are the ones you don't quite understand. I got called midget head in a, in a roast. And I, I didn't know what he meant. Oh. I was like, what? Every, everyone was laughing. I said to my wife after, what's the midget head thing about? And she was like, your head is slightly disproportionately sized. I have the head of a tall person, but the body of a mid-sized person. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy called me midget head. And I told someone at work as well. And now he says it every fucking day. He loves oh. it so much. But at the time, I just didn't know what to respond because I was like, I don't even know what that means. This is mad. It's a horrible uh, way to find out, isn't it? Yeah, losing a roast battle at the Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> a horrible way to find out. And then for your wife to go, right, well, let me explain this to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's worse that than brutal. that, Rachel. It's worse than that. I told my mum and she went, you know, 
when you were a year old, I took you in for your annual checkup as a as a baby, and he said the doctor said everything's fine, his head's a little bit big, but apart from that, he's fine. And my mum said, "Is that a problem that his head's slightly big?" And the doctor went, "No." And my mum went, "Then why did you bring it up?" <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't know. I mention it. I know. Do exactly. you know? I I had a very similar one where. During the first lockdown, you know, you know, I got very, I don't know why I did this and I've never done this before or since, but I looked at a video of me online and I looked at the comments and I was like, why on earth have I just done this as if life isn't bad enough at the moment? And somebody had written underneath, your features are too small for your face, right? <laughs> and, and of course, you know, I, I sort of dwelled on it for about 20 minutes and I was like, oh, I forgot about it. And then I told my friend James this about a year later and I said do you know and I've never done that again looked at comments because one of the comments really it bothered me and it just said it was stupid really it just said your features are too small for your face and he just nodded and I went oh my god <laughs> I went, you're not supposed to nod you're just meant to say that's silly bastard <laughs> I know so now you know how it feels to have your beloved yeah. and your mother basically agree with uh, just the comedian that roasted you in London. <laughs> what is your worst tackle, Kath, that you've had? My worst tackle, uh, it was a, um, a gig that was so bad, I apologised to all the female comedians and it, <laughs> uh, for doing us a disservice. Um, it was in Blackburn and Ooh. a man kept calling me a slag, but he was just whispering it at me. <sighs> you slag, you slag. And it shouldn't have upset me, but I was dying on my hall um, anyway because <laughs> uh, they wanted a man, not me. Uh, and I was not experienced enough to deal with it. Uh, uh, so I finished early. My mum was there as well. Uh, and I nearly uh, cried. And she was like, what's wrong? And I was like, a man called me a slag. Uh, also, it was too uh, quiet. He did it the coward's way. So if I'd have told him to shut up and stop calling me a slag, he would have, uh, no one else knew that he was doing it. Oh, what a horrible piece of shit. When you told your mum this, did she go, well, when I took you for your annual track, <laughs> she's a bit of a slag, but apart from that, fine. Perfect. You know what? <laughs> I think that'd be more on my mum if I was a slag at one. Yeah. <laughs> True. Put her in a playpen with some other one-year-old boys. Bloody hell. I think the worst thing your mum could have said when you told her was like, oh, Catherine, how did he know? <laughs> that would have been the worst. I'm joking. The only the only Mather slag, as we know, it was Helen Mather, your sister, who listens to every episode of this. And yeah. Who we repeatedly joke about being a slag, even though she isn't. She isn't, no, but uh, we did a live episode and she was really upset that we didn't call her a slag. Uh, so, <laughs> Helen, if you're listening, you're our slag. <laughs> And I tell you, who else was a slag. Annie um, Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so when she got out of prison, Emmeline Pankhurst sent her to meet the author William Stead, according to Fran Abrams, who's written a book about this. And I'll tell you what it's called later on, because uh, we've got another quote from Fran. She said, Perhaps Emmeline knew of Stead's fondness for young girls, which Sylvia experienced too. Sylvia Pankhurst, of course. Oh. Um, on one occasion, Annie had to appeal to Emmeline to ask him not to kiss her when she went to his office. But Annie oh. liked Stead, and he quickly became a father figure. Uh, before oh. their first meeting was over, she was sitting on the arm of his chair, telling him all about her life. 
He responded by telling her she must come to him if she was ever lonely or in trouble. Later, he even let her use a room in his house in Smith Square to rest during Westminster lobbies and demonstrations, and he lent her £25 to help her organise her first big London meeting. What a guy! Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, and he's... Okay. Yeah, it's it's questionable. Isn't it? mm. Annie's second prison stay came but months later <laughs> after her release <laughs> uh, in May 1906 after a group of women turned up at Herbert As- Asquith's house. Uh, he was the Chancellor of the Exchequer at the time. Uh, and were... future Prime Minister. Uh-huh. Oh. Yep. Uh, a group of women went to his front house and just would not stop ringing the doorbell. She... <laughs> She was arrested, and when they were offered the choice of six weeks in prison or giving up campaigning for one year, Kenny chose prison, as did everybody else. <laughs> uh, she was sent to Holloway Prison. And um, how many times do you reckon she was jailed in total? Well, she's a fairly committed suffragette, because you could probably tot up nights in prison, I'm guessing. I reckon it was probably a mad number, like 78 times. Oh, I was going to say 12. Mm, Rachel wins. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, 13. 13. Oh. Ah! <laughs> so I think... <laughs> I think it's not including nights in prison. I think it's oh, okay. days. Suffragettism. There's a lot of things they did, which if someone did now, you you might be like, ooh. Yeah. You know, I've, I respect what they think, but do, should you throw yourself in front of the king's horse? I sort of accept that. But the doorbell thing, I'm like, no, that would fuck me <laughs> off so much. Yeah. I like to think I'm a an ally to women, but if it's between someone ringing my doorbell for hours and hours or just half the country not having the vote i'm sorry ladies i've taken us back to 1910 <laughs> get away from my door they were all uh dressed as like they're all like mill girls as well that went so <laughs> imagine they'd be like the fucking uh povos on the doorstep like, get them <laughs> off what will the neighbors think <laughs> It would have been me and you there, Catherine, yeah. back in the day, wouldn't it? Yeah, probably. You're right. <laughs> I love. Yeah. Give us a vote. <laughs> I bet Asquith was really annoyed that he, the day before, got a novelty doorbell installed. Why did I install that ice cream van doorbell sound? It's quite funny when you hear it once, but not when you've heard it 70 times. Those bloody suffragettes. <laughs> We actually missed builders at our house uh, and the landlord went mental at us because someone had unplugged the doorbell and then clearly just hit a button as they plugged it back in and it was just a cockerel crowing and no one knew what the fuck it was. We just thought that it was like someone's like alarm going off on their phone. Very much hoisted by your own novelty petard there. Yeah, so it changes weekly our doorbell now. I think we've got, um, what's the Titanic song? My Heart Will Go On. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I cry at that song every time because we played it at my grandma's funeral. Uh, And I just need you to know that because it's such a shit rendition of it that I burst out (laughs) laughing every single time. (laughs) Is it like a music version? Like... Yeah, of course it is. It goes on for so long. Like your heart. Yeah, like yeah. Your heart, yeah. <laughs> in uh, 1907, Annie moved to Bristol. Uh, she was appointed the WSPU organiser at a salary of £2 a week. Ooh. Uh, I was getting paid about that when I was 18. Um, <laughs> she met Mary Bla- uh, Blathwaite at a WSPU meeting in Bath. 
According to Elizabeth Crawford, the author of The Suffragette Movement, 1999, uh, claims that Blathwaite had fallen under her spell and gave her a rose. Annie spent a lot of time at Mary's house over the next few years, uh, learning different things like French, riding, driving, tennis, swimming. uh, And they were also definitely fucking... Oh, she's a one-woman centre park, isn't she? She really is. Uh, It's rumoured that Annie and Christabel had a bit of a thing going on. Uh, And Mary wrote in her diary that Annie had had intimate relationships with 10 WSPU members. (laughs) Teresa Billington-Gregg, a fellow suffragette at the time, she sort of left uh, when things got a bit much. Uh, She said, it is true that there was an immediate and strong emotional attraction between Emmeline Pethick-Lawrence and Annie Penny. Indeed, so emotional and so openly paraded that it frightened me. I saw it as something unbalanced and primitive and possibly dangerous to the movement, but the emotional obsession died out and the partnership persisted for many years. So, yeah, she was a bit slutty and I love her for it. Interesting, yeah. Good for her. Especially back then. Yeah. Yeah. You look at your own grandparents and think, oh, they came from a more chaste age. So I love it when you hear about people absolutely slagging it up (laughs) pre-war it's great (laughs) it makes you wonder if your own grandparents had some secret life i did actually ask my grandma once i may have said this in the (laughs) podcast before uh i was trying i was trying to find out about that very issue she did she said something really cryptic like well before your grandfather i met your grandfather there were others but i didn't know what that means others what's that that could be anything from i kissed a man on the cheek outside the post office in 1933 before it or it could mean as you say she was a one-woman centre parks i've got no idea <laughs> could be others could be interwar fuck machine or it could just be i went on a couple of dates to see a couple of films it's too cryptic grandma and you text your grandma now and just ask if she wasn't into war fuck machine she's sadly she's passed God, and it doesn't oh, say it. and it doesn't say betty mccaffrey wife grandmother interwar fuck machine on her grave so <laughs> I won't never know. I've got a Chipping it in. <laughs> On the 21st of June, 1908, the WSBU organised a meeting called Women's Sunday at Hyde Park. It was organised on a Sunday so that the working women could also attend, and a crowd of around 300,000 gathered. It was a ballpark. Oh, wow. Uh, but it was one of the largest protests to have been held in Britain at the time. Speaking of how it felt to be a suffragette at this time in her autobiography, Annie said, the changed life into which most of us entered was a revolution in itself. No home life, no one to say what we should do or we should not do. No family ties, we were free and alone in the great brilliant city. Scores of young women, scarcely out of their teens, met together in a revolutionary movement. Outlaws are breakers of law, independent of everything and everybody, fearless and self-confident. Sounds fucking great, doesn't it? Sounds good, yeah. In 1912, Christabel Pankhurst had to flee to France to avoid arrest and Annie became leader of the WSPU in London. For two years, Annie would visit Christabel in Paris, according to uh, author of Freedom's Cause, Lives of the Suffragettes of 2003, Fran Abrams, from before, uh, wrote that at this time, Christabel had ordered an escalation of militancy, including the burning of empty houses, and it fell to Annie to organise these raids. She did not enjoy this work, nor did she agree with it. She did it because Christabel asked her to, she said later. They really did go to town. They set alight post boxes and it destroyed about 5,000 letters. Uh, and they attempted to burn down the houses of two MPs that opposed women. Wow. I mean, it's actually the doorbell thing, not looking too bad 
is it now? Not really. This is why it always fascinates me about suffragettes and our attitude to them, which I'm not saying is wrong. But like, you know, when uh, Extinction Rebellion stopped the tube or something, or the stop a bus, and people fucking are like, well, no, that's taking it too far. And, I, and I'm like, yeah, but it, the, it's supposed to be disruptive. That is the whole mm-hmm. point. And uh, it's got nothing on what the suffragettes did. Like, if, imagine if someone did that now on the subject you're most passionate about. Do you know what I mean? Someone like was like you found out that someone tried to burn down Gove, Michael Gove's house. You would probably be like, they're dicks. But mm. we don't really want to call the suffragettes dicks because we are thankful for what they have done mm. about. I'm not passing judgment either way. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's an odd like contrast that we that I sort of struggle to come to terms with in my brain. What do you two think? Uh, I think fair play to them. I think uh, yeah, they burned stuff down. Yeah, they were completely disruptive, but it was to get attention to get to get something very important sorted fine i'm happy with it extinction rebellion go for it do what you want i find them insufferable but <laughs> i do not mind them i i, I respect their right to uh, disrupt they're um, not just serving trying to serve the planet for themselves are they we know in a hundred years when we're living in a mad max style a post-apocalypse <laughs> They'll be regarded as heroes mm-hmm. because they they stopped the Northern Line train to Camden one cold <laughs> February morning. Whereas we'll be viewed as absolute balance for being like, no, too far, I'm afraid. You're going <laughs> to stop a train. No, thank you. I am the kind of person that, that does get like, oh, fuck. But then <laughs> the reason that I get annoyed at like, Extinction Rebellion, easy for you to say, is because when I read about them or whatever, a lot of them are middle to upper class people and that sets my teeth on edge. So that's my problem. That is my internalised issue. <laughs> um, but as I say, I respect their right to protest. I think they've got, you know, they've got a point that they want to make. They do more than I'm doing. I'm just sitting back and letting the planet burn. So fair play to them. And you never get yeah. anywhere by asking nicely, do you? No. Well, this is why, think about the suffragettes, this is why they, they couldn't be nice. Why should they be nice? They were To get attention, they were women behaving badly. And they were right to be pissed as well, I think. Yeah. Listeners, we'll be recording a live episode in London outside Jeremy Hunt's house where we will <laughs> rate a historical figure and then set his house ablaze. So come join us for that one. Dora will be ringing the doorbell for a full hour whilst we talk through... Yeah. Whether we'd fuck him or not, <laughs> it's going to be totally. It's going to be totally unlistenable. Yeah, yeah. Oh dear. Don't worry, we don't have to show a picture because he'll be out soon. <laughs> so in April 1913, she was arrested and sentenced to 18 months in Maidstone Prison for incitement to riot. She went on hunger strike and was the first suffragette to be released under the Cat and Mouse Act. Uh, which is where they'll go on hunger strike, get really unwell, uh, they'd be let out to recover and then have to return to do their sentence. So she was released and obviously went into hiding. Um, she got found and was sent back to prison. She escaped a second time in the summer to stay with Christabel in France. And she didn't piss about with this hunger striking. Uh, when she was released from prison in 1914, she had to be carried to a meeting in Knightsbridge on a stretcher which was oh, yeah. between two, two chairs on a platform. She was she did a lot of it. Uh, it was not good for her. At the outbreak of the First World War, the suffragettes suspended all activities to get behind the war effort. 
Annie was growing increasingly uncomfortable with Christabel's autocratic style. Uh, she was sent to the United States, which she disliked. <laughs> uh, and then in 1915, she was sent to Australia to help the Prime Minister, William Hughes, in a referendum on conscription. When she got back to the UK, she worked to find female workers for the munitions factories and was involved in organising an anti-Bolshevist campaign against strikes. I don't know if it was... So part of me thinks the fact that they suspended all activities was them just going, you know what, we're, burning, we're trying to burn people's houses down here. <laughs> I don't know how much bigger we can go. And the war was a good reason to just stop for a bit. I think that's probably a genuine reason, that. Because it wouldn't look good. It would probably harm the cause if they continued to be disruptive during a time of the nation should be as one. Do you think it shows a bit of uh, emotional maturity and awareness to be like, actually, this can wait? Yeah, I think so. I agree. Do you think so? I, it's, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because their conduct is so outside the normal boundaries of what's acceptable, you know, setting fire to houses. But as soon as the war starts, you might expect them to carry on being fairly anarchic. It's really mm-hmm. interesting that they don't. And, and also, it's like a fairly controversial war. It's not even particularly like a noble war. But maybe we, we, we're just saying that in retrospect with hindsight. And it, clearly it worked because mm. they passed the vote pretty much as soon as the war ended, right? Yeah. So uh, in nine, 1918, uh, women over 30 won the right to vote. Uh, <laughs> and Annie just retired from politics. She got what she wanted. Oh. It's like, yeah. Well, I was about to say, it's like Farage, but I was like, no, actually, no. I don't know if that's unfair. <laughs> that's unfair on her to compare her to Nigel Farage. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, so this bit's really weird. She just, she in 1918, she retired from politics. She met James Taylor when she was visiting her sister on the Isle of Arran. And in April 1920, they got married. Mary Blathwaite, uh, of earlier mm-hmm. described Taylor as quite simple like Annie and has a divine singing voice. (laughs) None of her friends seem to like her. No. They moved to Letchworth where Taylor was a maintenance engineer at a school and they had one son called Warwick Kenny Taylor in 1921. She's just settled into a domestic life. James, her husband, stated that she never really recovered from the damage done due to hunger striking and she died of either a stroke or diabetes when she was 73 at Lister Hospital on the 9th of July, 1953. Her ashes... Is that bad innings? Yeah. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. Her ashes were scattered on Saddleworth Moor by her... Oh! Family, ...where nothing bad has ever <laughs> No. The happy told, old saddle with more. I've told you that when my my mum, when I was a kid, and we'd always, if we ever drive to Manchester along the M62 West, every fucking time, didn't matter how old I was, four, six, eight, oh, <laughs> that's where the bodies were buried. Yeah, every and then she'd, time. And then she'd lean in. One of them, they never found. It's like, oh, great, thanks, mum. I'm not going to have nightmares about that. <laughs> every single time. Yeah. They found it was, was it Kenneth? They found him. They did it. They didn't. But this is the way. In fact, I was talking about this just the other day. Mm. A while ago, somebody contacted the news saying it's Keith Bennett, uh, oh, but saying that they'd, they'd fa- that, that they'd found a body on the 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 moor, blah, blah blah, and they think it's him. But it turns out it was just some bloke who had a book out. Oh. Who? Ah. Yeah, this guy had this book, and he contacted the police to to gain some sort of. I imagine it was self published. To gain some sort of uh, traction for his the thing that he'd written. What a weirdo! Yeah. That's so sick because it's not that long ago, really, 
No, relatives will still be alive. It's possible no. the parents could still be alive. Yeah. It's not unfeasible, he, Well, his, his mother is, is, has died. I think she died about five years ago. But I used to see her, Winnie Johnson, I think she was called. I used to see her in Manchester quite often doing her shopping. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's so weird that it, it wasn't that long ago. And also, there's like my grandma was in hospital with, uh, when she was having an operation, she was in hospital with Leslie Ann Downey's mother. Because obviously I'm from North Manchester and it all happened in Gorton and East Manchester. For a long time, when even when I was growing up as a kid, it was at the forefront of a lot of people. People would still talk about it. When I was growing up in the 90s, it wouldn't be uncommon to, you know, they have those photos of Myra Hindley, like, smoking a cigarette outside of a cell. And it's so odd and because it makes them real because the the mugshot of her has become so iconic, it's almost become yes. un, unreal. Do you know she had a relationship with Rose West in prison? Yeah. No way. Yep. How? They, oh, she, when so a Rose West... a lady love each other <laughs> yeah. very much, Ed. Kath, what's lesbianism? <laughs> in fact, I'm, I've got a book about it. I'm just looking at the book. Uh, I got sent it as a freebie. I've not oh. read it yet. Um, it's called This Woman, and it's about... So Rose West was moved to the same prison that Mary Hindley was in, and they had a, first of all, a friendship and then a relationship. Surely there's like a rom-com in that. Uh... <laughs> She's from Manchester. She's from Gloucester. <laughs> but love knows no geological boundaries. <laughs> it's bizarre. So bizarre. I was at a gig, right, um, not too long ago, and there was a woman who was in, I want to say, like, mid-twenties, and for some reason she was... She was pissed and she was trying to prove her age, I think, to the compare. So she gave him, like, unprompted, just gave him her driver's license. And then you could see in her face that she realised what she'd done because he looked at her name and her middle two names were Rose West. <laughs> so was, I, I don't no. know what her name was, but let's just... It was like Melissa Rose West Smith. <laughs> oh, my God, that is so weird. But why would you do that? After, like, after Rose West. Like, yeah. before Rose West. Oh, God. Never enough. But not to someone in their 20s, man. Oh, God. Ah. That's almost as bad as Khaleesi, isn't it? <laughs> almost. <laughs> I know. They probably just thought, it's only their middle name. But they weren't factoring in that she'd be the kind of girl who would hand uh, a legal document with her full name on it to a compare mm. at a weekend comedy club. <laughs> Entirely unprompted as well. I cannot express enough how she did not need to do that. Wow. Yeah. Going back to the prison thing, maybe it makes sense that Rose and uh, Myra, Myra, maybe it makes sense that they would become a couple. Because you sort of gravitate towards people who have similar life experiences to your own. And, uh, They're quite specific else? ones, aren't they? Well, yeah, I mean, maybe that was on the Tinder or the Hinge profile, looking for someone who I can share stories of killing innocent <laughs> people with and burying them in unusual local locations. Maming's yeah. accepted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Husband has to be out of the picture. Ding, ding. <laughs> Historical Hot or Not will be doing a live recording. Ooh. Uh, at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Ooh, that will be on the 22nd of August, 2023, the year that we're in now, at 12.30. I want to say a.m., it's p.m., though. The midday one, 
not the midnight one. It'll be part of the podcast hour, uh, which is at the Counting House. I will also be doing my Edinburgh show, my debut, ooh, uh, at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. My show is called Scream Inside Your Heart, and it will be at the Three Sisters in the Wee Room at 12 noon, 12 midday, not midnight, uh, and that will be on from the 3rd to the 20th of August. Links for these will be in our link tree on all of our major social medias at HotNotPod on Twitter and on Instagram. And the link tree link to the HotNotPod live show does take you directly to the one date we are recording. There's three weeks of dates for the podcast show. We are only on the 22nd. Do come down. Thank you. I'll acknowledge our sources. Uh, for this episode, Spartacus Educational, Hitchin Historicals, and of course, our good friend Wikipedia. So no one sues us. Yeah, uh, trying to avoid one of those dollop legal challenges. Yes, please. I do not have the money for that. Um, <laughs> so, will our good friend Annie end up on the Bayer Tap That Strip? I should let you go first, <laughs> Rachel, as the guest. Am I just going off looks? Or no. Are, are I... Full picture. Because sometimes we always say this. There were good-looking people from history who are monsters. Young Joseph Stalin, fucking yes. off. We wouldn't let him within a mile of the biotap that history because of all those bloody killings he did. I, I'd say she's hot. She was a working-class girl. She rose through the ranks. She, she changed history. Mm-hmm. I'd say hot. It's pretty attractive, isn't it? Yeah. I think she's quite attractive. I'm trying to be really honest, but maybe I'm overthinking this. If I knew her, would I get on with her? <laughs> and the only reason I say that is like I I'm a democratic socialist, but my I'm emotionally quite centrist because I just don't like confrontation and I don't like you know Twitter style debating. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just like you know way too partisan. But for her time, she's very politically radical in the way she conducts herself. Uh, but then I don't know. Maybe I'm being too much of a middle class punts by saying that. Uh, uh, I'll say yes because I think she's attractive and she is of virtue I don't think we would get very far in a relationship for the aforementioned reasons Uh, but that doesn't matter you put Theodore Roosevelt on last week Kath not because you liked him but just because you thought he was really hot when he was younger and uh, I think I think Anne is hot when she's younger so yeah I will say yes as well yeah I think I would say yeah um, because she I think don't get me wrong I think she'd be a bit much that's what mm. I'm, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Like a lot to deal with, an yeah. absolute full-on doorbell ringer. I don't want that in my life. <laughs> no, but also she did mellow out a bit. Yeah, she's actually. got capacity. Once she got what she wanted, she had capacity to chill out. I think it was just like she was useful. She knew what she wanted. She was having mm. a great time setting fire to houses, and just you know, <laughs> setting fire yeah. to houses and lezzing off with other suffragettes. Yeah. <laughs> And also, you kind of have to admire, like, in what other, how else would she have got to do things like go to America and go to Australia and stuff? Like, it must have been absolutely insane for mm. her social standing. Yeah, in those times as well. It's not like you can just, you know, hop over to Greece for £50 with Ryanair. Mm. That's like a big, big old expensive flight. I mean, oh, Australia. Oh, boat, sorry, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. is a hard journey now. Yeah. All righty then. So she's on the Bayot at that district. Lovely. What an achievement. She helped get the vote for millions of women. 
But I think getting on the biotech battery is an even greater achievement for old Annie Kenny. So congratulations. If someone could let her estate know, I'm sure they'd be delighted. <laughs> yes. Thank you for joining us. Rachel, do you Thank have you. anything uh, beyond your podcast? Do you have anything you want to promote? You have your tour. That's on the 9th of September, I think. Please do come. Tickets are on sale. That's what I should say. Tickets are on sale now. So I'm, I'm going all over the show. You know, I'm, obviously I'm going to Manchester, London. I'm going to places that I've never gigged before that I clearly can't remember. York, the Crescent, there's one for you. High Wycombe. <laughs> Who knew that, that I would one day be going to High Wycombe? Exeter, Dorking, Birmingham, all over the place. There's 30 odd dates. Come to one of them, please. We probably won't release this for a couple of months, so just when you're really starting to shit yourself about ticket sales, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll drop this episode. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> when I'm not feeling so confident that it's so far away. Yes, and as I say, I've seen the show of Rachel's that she likes the least, and I enjoyed it. So therefore, Good. you will definitely enjoy this upcoming show. Thank you very much. Thank um, you for having me. I've enjoyed it. No, thank you. It's lovely to meet you. It's lovely to have you on the pod. And uh, yeah, welcome back any time in the future. Oh, lovely. I've got nothing to promote, so just tell your friends about this podcast and tell them to download it, uh, is what I want from you listeners. At Hot Not Pod, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, yep, all those things. We have a Substack now, if you like Substack. I don't really understand it. I just started putting the podcast there. <laughs> uh, do you have an at? We can follow you on social media, Rachel. What's your oh, at? at Rachel Fairburn. That's it. Cross Twitter. the board. T- TikTok. I joined that recently. <laughs> uh, Instagram, Facebook, all the, all the general ones. All the big ones. All the big ones. All the big ones. Which means all there is left to say is... Spread the word, spread your legs, and remember, it's not what's on the outside of the coffin, it's what's on the... Inside of the coffin that counts. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not, written and created by Aidan McCaffrey and Catherine Mather. The podcast art was by our good friend Richard Todd, and our theme music by excellent musician and also good friend David Eagle. We also have music by Ergo Fismas, Lesser License from the Free Music Archive. If you've enjoyed us and you would like to donate to the cause, we would love you to do that also. You can find us at ko-fi.com forward slash hotnotpod and you can download bonus episodes of Historical Hot or Not from Acast Plus. The link is available on our link tree, linktree.com forward slash hotnotpod. Bye!